We all misbehave sometimes Wanna change the world Indulge in some bad Hello and welcome to Bad Behaviour. I'm Rosalind. And I'm Nicola. And I am so excited. Nicola, what are we talking about this week? Well, Rosalind, thank you so much for asking. (laughs) Don't make it weird. (laughs) I'm just trying to be nice to you. Um, For the first time in 10 years. (laughs) Enjoy it while it lasts. So I am absolutely obsessed with the show called The Undateables. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's an absolute fab show. It's a British show and it basically is a dating show for people living with disabilities Um, and it pairs them up with other interested people and they go on really cute dates and they navigate the world of living with a disability and you know, liking someone and having sex and etc. etc. It's all very lovely and it honestly is the first time that I've seen disabled people portrayed that way on television as well. Like I feel like it was quite transformative because they weren't the butt of a joke. It wasn't fetishizing them. It was just very nurturing and kind and calm, which I found so lovely to watch and it educated me a lot as well and our guest this week has been on that very show we've wanted to do an episode about sex and disability for a long time haven't we Roz? Absolutely it's definitely been something that's on my radar we've talked a lot about sex and pleasure and sex education but this is not something we've really covered and I think it would be detrimental not to. It's an experience that a lot of people around the world have and it's something that as able-bodied people we should be educated in and be able to talk about and be open to and without the terminology and the understanding of some of the intricacies of it how can we be as open as possible. You know you've got to do the work to be open to learn more. I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But really, this is exciting for us when we get to research and talk about topics that we don't know much about. And I think for me, I had a couple of years ago, I don't know if I've spoken about this before, but I used to be a nanny. You know, I took care of children, helped show them the world and, you know, teach them about life's wisdoms, etc, etc. One of the families that I nannied for was this really wonderful family with a set of twins who were both on the autism spectrum. And that was the first time I'd worked with kids with autism. And it was such a learning experience for me. And I really, really bonded with one of the twins for privacy reasons. Let's call her Penelope. Penelope was completely transformative to my life she was completely nonverbal. kind of rocked my world about how I knew how to speak to people and how I approached them and you know how I asked for things from her and how she asked for things from me it was really really just identity defining for me I think because I'd never had a friendship with someone who was not able to speak before and watching the undateables It truly, I saw her reflected. It just warmed my heart so much because, you know, I 
would really want for her to at some point in her life be able to have companionship or friendship in that way. You know, that's something her parents and I would always talk about as like a dream for her potentially if she wanted it. And so to be able to see these wonderful people dating and pursuing romance, it was just so refreshing. And I'm really, really excited for you to hear this interview. My name is Becky. Um, I am 26 and I live in London in the UK. Um, I work in marketing, but on the side, I'm a photographer, designer and general disability activist. Great. I'm going to go straight into it. How do you think having a disability impacts your sex life and what do you think are the misconceptions about people who are disabled and having sex? I think for me personally, sort of living with a disability and and sort of dating and sex and things like that, that I I do notice the misconceptions around sort of sex and disability through dating apps and things like that. People, the things people say, I've had a lot of messages from people basically just asking, like, can you have sex? And it's kind of shocking to me, I think. When it first started happening, it it was weird. I was like, would you ask anyone else that question? Um, and if the answer is no, why are you asking me? Um, I think the the problem is is that when people point out that oh you're disabled, therefore can you have sex? It separates us as humans, and it makes us feel like we are different. And yeah, I just think generally the the assumptions about sort of being disabled and having sex are either that you can't have sex, or that disabled people are asexual or have no sexual desires or or needs or anything like that. And yeah, they're probably the biggest sort of like misconceptions that we that we get generally. And it goes across goes across everyone. It's not just sort of female disabled people, it is male disabled people too. And yeah, it's just the assumption that we, we can't and don't want sex. So the weird thing for me was actually when I was in school, I can't remember how old I was, but I was uh sitting in my English lesson and I heard people whispering next to me about who they thought had had sex in, in our class. And they went round to everyone. And when they got to me, I heard them say, oh, no, she can't. She's disabled. And I remember this feeling of like, I was really upset. I mean, at that point, I hadn't slept with anyone. But in my mind, I was so upset that they'd made that assumption that I couldn't just never and that it wouldn't happen. And I think that was the moment for me where I realized that people thought differently about me and things like that and although I wasn't at that age where I was necessarily thinking about having sex or anything like that it really upset me I I actually cried and I said to my mum I was like I don't know why I'm crying because I haven't actually had sex but I hated it and then it wasn't until I actually started properly dating when I was older and on dating apps that yeah that's when I started getting messages from people basically just asking me can you have sex Would you tell me a little bit about how you got the sex talk? Do you feel like you, when you were taught about sex, you were prepared, sufficiently prepared for having sex with a disability or was that included or not at all? I basically got no sex education when I was younger. Our school did one sex ed class where they taught us how to put a condom on and that was it. That is all we were told. For me now, now that I'm older, it's interesting thinking back because at the time I really didn't even want the sex education lesson. I was a very quiet, awkward person in school. I was like, I don't want to know about any of this yet. Like, 
Um, so I didn't think about it. But it's now that I look back, I'm like, why don't they teach it in schools? Why don't they normalise sex generally with with disabled people, with people from the LGBT community and things like that? That still isn't included. And I think that is where the, the problem starts because they're sort of talking about sex, but they're not being inclusive when they're talking about sex. And so people are growing up with these ideas of what the norm is and things like that. I mean, I didn't get the sex talk at all, not even from my parents or anything. I kind of just grew up in a world where the internet, <laughs> Google, <laughs> searching everything, trying to figure it out. But it was it was a weird time, I think, for me, because I didn't start having sex till quite late, I think. And weirdly, I think that helped me because I was older and I'd done my research and I didn't get so scared about it. But... Yeah, I just think that I had to do a lot of my own research and figure out what was right for me as a disabled person, really. And did you see yourself represented when people, when you were doing your research? Like, were there stories about disabled people feeling really sexy and getting pleasure and enjoying their sex life and, you know, seeking that from their partners and all that, you know, stuff that's so accessible if you're just a able-bodied hetero person? I didn't feel that I was accurately represented. And I think this is where sort of disability is so broad. And if you're just, so I would sort of search like sex with scoliosis because that's the, that's the disability that I have. And, and I am sort of half paralysed in a way. And yeah, I couldn't find a lot. I think for me, only where I found it was through, I was on like Tumblr and stuff like that. And that's where I felt more represented because when Tumblr came around, it was a very diverse community and I started to find more disabled people. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. There are more people out there. And then we started speaking and then I would find information out through them if they were older and they'd had sex, I could sort of like talk to them. And it was more peer to peer, I think. And just Google was very sort of medical. If I, when I was Googling things about sort of sex and disability, it was very medical and I was just kind of like, this doesn't feel right to me. This is, this is people that haven't experienced disability writing about what it's like to be disabled and have sex and it's, it didn't sit right. So a lot of my sort of research ended up being when I found Tumblr and Twitter and I found more disabled people online and things like that. That's so cool that you've been able to provide that for other people as well. I'm sure you've paid it forward with all your advocacy. So that's really amazing. So it was really interesting for me to hear Becky's story about that group of girls at school who had been whispering about who had had sex and who hadn't because I think this episode has truly illuminated a blind spot that I had and I feel like I at times in my life have definitely been a part of that whispering group who's kind of unconsciously grouped together people with disabilities as not being sexual as not wanting sex or pursuing sex And that's to my detriment, right? It's a huge gap in my learning. And this interview has kind of been the beginning of um, a wake-up call to to fill that gap. I wonder, do you kind of feel a similar way with this topic? 
I agree. My first experience sort of around this, I worked in aged care for a long time and I remember talking to my boss who was a registered nurse and and ran this aged care facility and she was talking about sexuality in aged care. And aged care doesn't just mean old people, it means people who have complicated disabilities, who need 24-7 care. So we had younger people in our facility as well. And I remember her talking about this and kind of my mind being a little bit blown I guess especially when we talk about it sex is such a a basic thing for most people like it's a part of most people's lives if you're not asexual it's probably something that you think about or talk about or you know and the fact that just because people had a disability or people were older I wasn't considering that part of their life in their overall care. I was an admin, but it's still something that I should have been aware of. And that kind of was a new concept. That was that was alarming. And that was quite a few years ago now. But it it did make me realize, oh, sugar, I've (laughs) fucked up here. (laughs) You know, I have friends who are speech pathologists and, you know, work with people with disability and it's just such a basic part of life that not understanding that it is basic part of life is completely ableist and, and wrong. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think that it's something that was a blind spot for me and probably I haven't done enough learning around it. It does. It makes me think, you know, I know a lot about trans rights and all of that stuff going on because I have friends who are trans but I haven't learned enough about sex and people with disability because and I'm ashamed to say it it just hasn't touched my life in that personal way and I wonder about it because I hope I haven't been the kind of person who would shut off the idea of a relationship with someone with disability because I didn't know enough that would be awful but I might have the thing is you probably subconsciously have unfortunately I feel like most I definitely would put my hand up and say if I've had this bias where I've not even considered people with disability to be sexual I would never say I've actively like pursued that bias or vocalized it but it's been internal and it's definitely been there in my mind and I completely agree with what you're saying with how it's not until you've had these conversations and learnt the language about how to talk about it and not have it be so stigmatised and taboo, how can you expect to be able to date people with disabilities, trans people, you know, gender non-conforming people, all these all these groups who hold such wonderful dating prospects for us, <laughs> we can't close ourselves off and we have to, out of fear as well, because I think for me, I... As, as with a lot of people, I'm sure, I fear saying the wrong thing. I fear that my internal bias will show. In moments like these, I retreat to the books. I try and learn a lot. I try and consume a lot of content. And that has been the experience of this episode for sure. Throughout the conversation with Becky, the thing that really drew me to her was how candid and open she was. I just felt really safe asking her these questions as well. in the next part of the interview. Becky has some really wonderful things to say about dating apps, which I'm very excited for. 
I've been using dating apps for probably about seven years now. Like, I started on Tinder when it was weird to be on Tinder, when people were kind of like, don't talk to strangers online, it's weird. Um, so I was sort of secretly on it, and then it just sort of blew up and everyone was on it and it was normalised. And my experience has changed so much over those years. I find it quite interesting because when I first started dating on apps, that's when I first had the real realisation of, oh my goodness, what do I do? Do I tell people I'm disabled or do I hide it and get let them get to know me as a person and and it was a real sort of like self-discovery time I think when I first started using dating apps I did start with just photos of me and not my disability there's no mention and I would talk to people for like months that we wouldn't meet we would just talk and talk and talk but it was as soon as I told them about the disability that they just would ghost me and this was happening a lot and so I think that was a point where I was like this needs to change I need to be okay with my disability and I need to be self strong and be like this is me so then I did start sort of being honest from the get-go I thought you know what people see me and like me for me then I know that they're good but you know I haven't had the best luck on dating apps to be honest especially during university I did that's when I got a lot of the can you have sex messages and because I'm not a full-time wheelchair user, a really common and horrible thing that people would say was, oh, one night after me and you'll be in that wheelchair permanently. As if that was a great chat-up line. And I was just like, this is when I started experiencing what people were like. And I was like, oh no, I don't like this. And I don't know how to navigate this world. I do still use the dating apps. And I have had some, I've had some good dates. I've met some good people on it, but nothing that's ever really amounted to anything. And it was actually... Um, a guy I went on a date with that I ended up sleeping with for the first time and that was my first experience of knowing that they knew about the disability and they didn't care about it and it was it was good it was fine and we had that communication and I'm glad that it worked like that because I think I had that sort of internal pressure that I was getting older and still hadn't had sex and started wondering if that was because of my disability or or what so yeah, I've had some varied experiences on dating apps, really. I feel you. I've had no luck on them either. But there's still that, like, tiny little slither of hope that makes me re-download it every couple of months when <laughs> I, after I've given up on it. And it's just I would really hate for Tinder to produce how many times I've delete it and, and re-downloaded it because it would be Same. very confronting for me to <laughs> see the lack I, of commitment um, in either direction. <laughs> yeah. I recently um, came out as pansexual and so I started Amazing. going back on Tinder when I was like a bit more open at meeting new people. Um, so again, that sort of changed my experience on dating apps as well. It's almost like when you read those really conservative Reddit threads and stuff, like it's somehow is the collection of like some of the most conservative and like misogynistic men that you will ever experience in your life and the lack of, um, yeah, the first messages. The, I do not understand the audacity that comes with saying the most horrible things to people. No, I know. Is that liberating to them or what? (laughs) Yeah, I don't get it. I've got a friend, she's quite public about her sort of experiences with dating and disability too, and she's got the same um, conditions as me, she's got scoliosis. And some of the first messages, people will match with her and just straight away be like, why have we got a hunchback? What's that? And it's just like, why bother? Why have you matched with someone on a dating app just to be horrible? What what are you gaining? Mm. 
I don't know about you, Rosalind. Well, actually, I do know about you, but (laughs) (laughs) because I'm your friend, but I can really relate to the absolute pain of dating apps and navigating them and also the horrible first messages that men send. And that's not even receiving them as anything but, you know, a basic white woman. Like, I I really, really was not at all shocked by some of the things that Becky mentioned that men say to her when she's on dating apps. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking. I really feel like I have to admit to you that I have zero hope when it comes to dating apps. Like I truly, my hope is is in the helplessness region. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about it then. I downloaded Tinder, I think in 2000 and I'm trying to remember, 2013. So that's seven years. That's how long Becky had said she'd been on it too. I think, have I been on it the same amount then? Because I would have downloaded it around when you downloaded it, right? Yeah, so it's been a really long time. I no longer use uh, Tinder for men. I've found that Bumble is a lot better because women have to message first. And I find that just that basic premise means that I get a lot more of a respectful back and forth from guys. So I don't have that problem as much anymore. But I remember what it was like when unsolicited, you would get awful, degrading, just not, you know, just awful stuff about your body, what you look like, everything under the sun add anything other than just sort of you know run of the mill a nice hey how are you (laughs) a basic conversation starter (laughs) yeah you know I was discussing this with Nicola before we recorded this and she told me not to go into specifics so I won't but there were awful things said oh because they're so gross and I don't want to give airtime to any of the stupid incels who sat there with their friends and were like let's send this message to this girl like that's (laughs) exactly how they sounded you can't argue with me about that (laughs) and I don't want to give them any more airtime and yet I'm here (laughs) talking about them because yes it's just I've tried many dating apps I've tried Bumble I've tried Hinge I've tried Her all of them I feel like and I Tinder is definitely the most degrading like I think people are the scummiest on tinder but all of them are pretty shocking like they don't even on bumble where you have to take the plunge it's still pretty terrible a lot of the time people just feel they can say anything they just think there's no repercussions they're not standing in front of me I can say whatever I want and it's just it's bizarre it's also understandable it's crazy though because their pictures are attached Like they have given us a little album of their photos and yet they have the audacity to send an absolute horrendous message, you know, and look, I'm hopeful. I'm not. I know that we're, we're talking about how you're not, but I am. I just, I feel like, okay, I can't talk to people in everyday life. This is just something I need to deal with. I find it very hard to just be, you know, hey, I find you attractive. Do you find me attractive? How do you do that? (laughs) Ew. 
what is that little <laughs> interaction you just played That's out? That's what I mean. I don't know how to do it. I Like, I have friends who have had a partner always. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you just go into an interaction and go, great, by the end of this. I don't know. I don't even know how it works. What I'm saying is <laughs> if I don't have hope in dating apps, <laughs> I don't have hope. Mm. Ooh, that's a that's a little tidbit, isn't it? Especially now in Corona, if you can't go out and find people and meet them and wow them with your shockingly brilliant personality, then you've got to do dating apps and it's awful, but <laughs> it's the avenue I have. And so I refuse to be hopeless. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now this is honestly that little pep talk coupled with Becky's optimism because I would say that despite all the absolute horrendous stuff that she's received online she's also she also mentioned that she'd met some really lovely people and had some you know really lovely occurrences as well so I feel like coupled together maybe that paints a better picture Look, at least it's quicker. She and and any other women out there who are trying to just find someone, at least you can kind of weed out the assholes straight away. Because if they have liberty to say this stuff because they're not face-to-face with you, you don't want to date them. You don't. You don't want to date those people. And maybe they would be more respectful in person. It would take longer to find out their true colours. It's like my family has a thing about board games that you really find out about someone when you play a board game with them. Well, maybe this is the board game. It's a game, so people treat it lightly. And they act like absolute horrendous human beings. And that's good. It means I don't have to give them any more energy than I need to. Mm. Yeah, I suppose that is one way of looking at it. And another way of looking at it is that everyone's trash and it will never work. (laughs) Yeah, that, but also as two women with able bodies, like we're not even getting the half of it. Like our entire dating experience isn't being defined by our bodies I mean it is (laughs) it is being that's that's a a broad statement but you know it's not it's not the first thing people are commenting on and they're not discriminating about I mean okay (laughs) this entire argument is got a lot of holes in it because (laughs) yes they are yeah the men do judge you based on your appearance but it's not based on you know, you've got to be, I know what you mean. It's, we have to be intersectional when we think about this. Our version of horrendous interaction will not be half as bad as for people who have been fetishized or targeted for other reasons. One part of that is, oh, it weeds out the shit people. And the other part of that is, wow, these people are getting horrendously negative messages every single day. That must be exhausting. You know, maybe, yeah, it's just, it's a, I hate them. I'm back to hating dating apps. (laughs) But even I have deleted them multiple times. I have. I've deleted them. I've taken probably month long breaks, months long breaks. And I had a plan every new year. I have the same resolution, which is I will go on another dating app date every month. Okay. It's not that big a deal. I still don't always do it. There's some hope, you know. 
Wow, this conversation got real sad. Um, mostly because of me, I take full accountability for changing the mood of this. <laughs> no, I feel I feel very optimistic for you. I feel like you come across really well over text, which is not something that I feel necessarily for myself. You're very witty. And so one day you'll find someone who can keep up with your banter and has the same values. And if it means you have to weed out some horrible people, I'm really sorry for that. But you're great and anyone would be privileged to have you in their lives. Wow. Thank you so much. And I mean, ditto that message to Becky as well. Let's manifest it. I'm keen on us manifesting anything for me. Let's manifest for Becky though. Okay. How, what does that entail? I mean, we just did it. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready, Becky. We sent you a man. (laughs) Or a woman or anything. (laughs) Great. Okay. (laughs) We've done good work today. (laughs) On the podcast before, we've spoken a little bit about um, embodiment and like truly like checking in with yourself throughout the day in order to like get pleasure and to have good sex and You've kind of touched on self-love a little bit, but could you speak about the relationship between, you know, growing to like love your disability and then having good sex or good pleasure? So as I said before, when I was on dating apps and I started realising that people were really judgmental about the disability, I realised that the fact that I was trying to hide it was also my own issue and something that I obviously was struggling with how I looked and I was worried about how people were judging me and um, at the time I was studying photography at university and so I really kind of took that in and started to explore my own disability I did sort of self-portraiture I did sort of nude photos where I quite modest nudes but you can see my back and I wanted to sort of make my back very visible because of the curvature on my spine I wanted to be like this is me this is what I look like this is my body and I love my body and I started putting those pictures more publicly um out there and I got a really positive response and I think the positive response helped me quite a lot to sort of be like oh actually I am I'm all right I like how I look and and then I started seeing myself differently the way I was looking at the way I dress uh things like that I um yeah so I sort of really started to like me for me and then it progressed I think, into sort of dating and sex and disability because I had that self-confidence in myself and I wasn't sort of this... I was very shy when I first sort of started university, but then as I got older and experienced sort of self-love and things like that, I became more confident and just realised that if people want me, they want me and to stop sort of thinking about my disability. When it came to sort of having sex as well, I just naturally had that confidence I think because I was finally like I like who I am and I like how I look and and I didn't sort of it sounds weird but I think for the first time I had sex I kind of expected a bad reaction because it's the first time obviously taking my clothes off and being in front of a person one-on-one where they can see me for in my entirety like I you can see everything um but I think the fact that they were very complimentary, just helped even more. Um, and I still I keep that in. Like I, I remember how people have spoken about me and I, and I keep that. 
Um, and I think that helps a lot. That's lovely. Your photography series is so beautiful. So on that point too, when do you feel sexiest? Um, ooh, I think I feel sort of sexiest at different times. So I, again, I do love doing my sort of photography and my self-portraiture and I think I find that really empowering. And although my photography is sort of very similar, I think it's good for me to sort of throw myself into something creative about myself and make these pictures that make me feel like I, I like that I see my when I see my body from different angles I'm always a bit like I like it I'm I'm proud of that I mean I it's so it's such a nice feeling especially because I grew up so sort of self-conscious I mean I grew my hair so long because I was like I don't want anyone to see my back my back and I used to wear like baggy tops and things like that and now I'm like nude photos where my back's fully on show and I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, so that really sort of gives me, that makes me feel good. Would you be able to tell me what the best parts about having sex as a disabled person are? I suppose the best part about having sex is as a disabled person is that I can be very honest from the get-go. They, I think actually I've had more people ask me what works, what can I do, and I don't think that always happens in sort of like non-disabled relationships and things like that. People just kind of go in and they hope for the best. But because they can see that I have a disability, I think they like to ask, and, and I like that because it just makes it a lot a lot better for both of us and there's no sort of hiccups halfway through where I'm going oh no ouch that hurts my back don't do that <laughs> so I think that's great and uh, I'm not gonna lie I uh, like that it means that they sometimes have to put more work in because <laughs> I can't move around <laughs> with them <laughs> that's a, a great <laughs> a little silver lining <laughs> what kind of stories and narratives you think are missing from the way that the general public or able-bodied people talk about disabled people having sex? Like, what do you think we need more of? Uh, I think generally it goes back to the sex education in schools. I think I think with everything, you've got to start young. You've got to teach kids about disability. And I think the most common thing that I hear from people people that I've become friends with or just people that I've met over the years, they sort of say, I never even thought about that until I met you. And it's kind of like, yeah, exactly. But not everyone will know someone that's disabled. So we need those people to to understand too. And especially when it comes to sex and disability. I mean, even those, I try and look at everything positively. Even those people that have messaged me on dating apps being like, can you have sex? And saying derogatory things. I hope that even just that moment, they took something away from my response by saying, yes, I can now go and educate yourself kind of thing. And I hope that even that little seed of information has taught them. And But I genuinely, I just think that starting school, sex education needs to be more inclusive 100%. I think that's where the biggest problem is. I've worked for charities and things like that that work with people with learning disabilities. And even with them, they talk about uh, in being in relationships and things like that and it just needs to be normalized we need to normalize disabled people wanting relationships and wanting sex and and teaching them because I just think that 
we shouldn't be left to just figure out everything out for ourselves all the time. Do you have any advice for other women with scoliosis or with a disability who are deciding to start to have sex? What do you wish you knew when you were doing all your Google searches back in the day? Um, I think my advice would be to try and find to try and find the disabled community generally. I think that was the main thing that changed for me when I started meeting more disabled people and could have open conversations with people that just get it. I think that was a massive moment for me and I mean there are so many people online now that are so sex positive body positive and I think it's yeah a great community and I would 100% just try and recommend finding that community on Instagram on Twitter wherever there is always a disabled community and we're always so open and I mean even if they spoke to me I would 100% be honest with them and help them so and where can people find your new photography series? I have a website. It's rebeccadan.wits.com slash photography. Um, and then all my series is on there, um, my old and my new ones. Well, wonderful. I haven't seen your new one, so I'm really excited. That's so productive for quarantine, just casually doing an entire photography series good on you I loved it it was so fun I set up in my bedroom and it was good to go Thank you so much for coming on board with us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Becky as much as we enjoyed it. And if you'd like to check out more of her work, we will be linking her website and her Instagram on our website and Instagram. And I really urge you to go and have a look. She is a wonderful photographer and the photography series that she creates are truly, truly remarkable. And just to wrap this up, I came across a really, really cool reading challenge for any of our listeners that like books and it's called the Disability Stack Challenge and it urges us to question how many people with disabilities work that we're consuming. We'll be posting that on our Instagram and I really urge you to have a look at your bookshelf and see if it has enough disabled authors in it because I certainly will be. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. We all misbehave sometimes. Want to change the world, indulge in some bad.